Hey everyone, Zach here. Before we dive into today's conversation, I wanted to make you aware of an exciting upcoming event that I highly encourage you to participate in. This event is brought to you by Social Fresh. And Social Fresh, if you haven't heard of them, they're the original social media conference. They've hosted 24 different conferences over the past 11 years, and over 300 of the Fortune 500 have actually attended one of their training events. So they know a lot about social. Social Fresh is actually launching Social Fresh X, which is a virtual conference dedicated to helping organizations adapt in these highly uncertain times. This is a five-day virtual event, but Monday, June 1st, again, that's Monday, June 1st, is going to be dedicated to higher ed. So they're going to build an awesome higher ed-specific track. The confirmed speakers for the full event include folks from Facebook, Microsoft, Boys and Girls Clubs of America, A&E, JetBlue, Twitter, IBM, and many more. So, you know, a full all-star list of brands right there. And then the higher ed speakers include folks from University of Michigan, Duke, MIT, Pitt, and others. This is going to be an amazing event with lots of compelling actionable content. If this event doesn't make a ton of sense for you, given your context, I highly encourage you to find somebody on our team who it does make sense for and send them to socialfreshx. That's again, socialfreshx.com. What's even more exciting is that Enrollify subscribers get 10% off of the cost of the tickets for this event. So when you go to socialfreshx.com and go to checkout, be sure to enter the promo code Enrollify10. That's Enrollify10 at checkout to get 10%. This is going to be an amazing event, guys. I can't stress how important it is, especially in these uncertain times, to make sure that you're staying sharp, you're staying educated, that your team is on the cutting edge and and taking advantage of these really uncertain times and making sure that you're building what you need to be building to kick off the fall uh, very strongly. And I think a lot of that can come from attending and being inspired by the content that's going to be at this event. So again, finally, socialfreshx.com. Be sure to use Enrollify10, Enrollify10 at checkout to get 10% off. Hello and welcome to the Enrollify podcast. My name is Zach Buzicruz and I am the host of today's episode. And today I have the honor of sitting down with Chris Hebner, who is a digital strategist at Cyberwoven. Cyberwoven is a web strategy design and development agency. Welcome to the show, Chris. Hey, thanks for having me, Zach. Chris, I would love for you to just start by giving our listeners a little bit of context into what your role at Cyberwoven is, and if you could actually just give us a, a sort of Cliff's Notes overview of what your career has looked like to date, that would be a great place for us to start today's conversation. That sounds good. Uh, yeah, I spent a lot of time as a perpetual student. I couldn't quite figure out what I... Uh, wanted to do. I, I had uh, started a master's program in education, thought I wanted to go on and get a PhD. Uh, midway through, I got a job in the uh, School of Journalism to uh, support support a family uh, and discovered this wonderful world of uh, consumer behavior. And so while I like to, uh, you know, post questions, test hypotheses uh, uh, in one uh, application, I found there was a lot of applications uh, that I enjoyed um, uh, thinking through as it relates to marketing. So I went on, got a graduate degree in uh, mass communication at the University of South Carolina. And my first role after that was uh, in a marketing role in admissions uh, at the University of South Carolina. I spent about 
uh, four years there uh, and then left uh, there to uh, become a digital strategist with Cyberwoven uh, in March. And so in my role, uh, I guide, develop and support uh, business objectives through the use of uh, primarily digital uh, channels. Were you, you guys said that you, uh, or you said that you were working in marketing in admissions. How, how were you guys structured, uh, at, at USC? Like what did the, were you, was like the director of admissions or VP of enrollment management, sort of, uh, your boss kind of overseeing the department or, uh, it, it's not often the case that you've got a marketer directly working with the admissions team. So I'm just curious to see, to hear a little bit more about how your team was structured. Yeah, we, we did have a, 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 a VP of enrollment, and so we reported uh, up through through that chain. We had um, we we our team evolved over the course of the my my time there. Uh, we always had a small team. Um, we had uh, about four of us uh, in marketing roles. Uh, and when I first started, uh, we, we we did a lot of work. Uh, with outside sources, uh, we we did a little bit of work uh, in house. Uh, as my role continued, uh, our efforts evolved, and so by the time I I left, we had pulled a lot of stuff uh, in house. Um, we produced um, uh, view books, brochures, uh, digital ads, uh, email campaigns, uh, just about everything other than the thirty second uh, spot uh, internally. Wow, that's impressive. I mean, I think that that's, you know, more and more schools are uh, in, in combining admissions and marketing teams and whatnot. You're seeing kind of consolidation happening throughout the industry. And some, you know, you're seeing roles kind of emerge like VP of enrollment management and marketing and whatnot. But um, it's rare that those that schools are able to do so much in house too. So that's, that's really, really impressive for for a team um, that wasn't large. Um, I'm curious yeah. if, you, if you could actually talk a little bit about some of the lessons learned at USC. So you worked there, as you said, for a little over four years. Um, and, you know, I'm just curious, how did you, from your perspective, how did enrollment marketing kind of change throughout your throughout your time there? Were there any sort of lessons learned or, um, you know, insights that you that you garnered that you might be able to share with us? Yeah, I, I, mean, I think there's an element that if, if we think of uh, sort of this split between marketing and admissions, um, I think that one of the lessons I, I really learned is there is strength uh, in alignment between that central marketing or that that sort of brand steward uh, team and, and enrollment management uh, uh, marketing. Uh, I, I really tend to look at a lot of higher ed marketing uh, through the lens of the work of uh, Peter Field and Les Binet, who do a lot of uh, research into marketing uh, effectiveness. And a lot of the stuff they talk about is sort of this optical, opti- optimal mix, excuse me, of long-term brand building and short-term activation or short-term uh, sales activity. Uh, and I think that there's a lot of applications uh, in that for higher ed marketers. I, I feel as though what I learned is my job as an admissions marketer is made stronger uh, by the brand building efforts of um, the institutional marketers or whatever you would you might want to call that that organization. Uh, when when there's a lack of that uh, push in terms of brand building activations or activities, um, you know the job of the enrollment uh, management marketer gets gets a lot tougher. Uh, so I think the more that they can be aligned uh, and work in concert, um, 
and the better those outcomes, uh, the ability to build those funnels uh, are. Yeah, that I could not agree with you more. And you know, I think that some of the best institutions <clears throat> out there um, are ones that have sort of figured out how best to leverage that partnership and like how to collaborate effectively and efficiently. I'm curious, in order to just like press into that a little bit, a little bit more. Do you have a specific example that you can share with us of a time that you thought you slash your team worked well with? Uh, university relations or, or, or UCM at large to execute a campaign or maybe it was a particular season that you that there was high collaboration um, any any specific examples you can share with us um, you know we we worked uh, 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 somewhat uh, in relationship to our, our central marketing body uh, we went through a brand uh, refresh um, I apologize it may have been a year year and a half ago um, uh, and so, uh, in an effort to sort of extend the work that, that the brand was doing, we got to work with them and sort of interpret and, and sort of flex the brand brand platform to, uh, to meet, uh, our audiences. Uh, and I really, uh, enjoyed, uh, that aspect of, of, of that, that refresh, if you will, being able to work out, you know, how we were going to do use different, uh, creative assets, how we were going to use different sort of design aesthetics and fonts, uh, and so forth. Um, uh, I really enjoyed that. And I think a, uh, it, it helped, you know, create this, this brand, if you will, uh, but it also uh, allowed our work to be a lot stronger because it can, you know, absolutely reinforce what what they're going to do with it. Yeah, no, and I think that you know uh, that's that's a perfect illustration of sort of what, what's just happening throughout the larger community, right? So you see sales and marketing teams outside of higher ed, just in the for profit space, uh, collaborating and being housed under something like a, a growth department, right? Or you're you're seeing uh, you know chief growth officers sort of uh, being responsible or, or CROs being responsible for all marketing and sales, and so you know higher ed is is typically several years behind the rest of the world. But I think that that's a, a great example of sort of just how schools, especially in, in you know, this economy, the, uh, the challenges that we're all headed into can kind of consolidate resources. And while there's certainly going to be um, a lot of uh, negative ramifications of what we're all living through right now, I also think that this is a, an opportunity to dramatic, you know, to, to break down a lot of the silos that exist in higher ed. And I think some of the more obvious silos that exist are silos between admissions, between marketing, between brand, uh, brand folks. And I think that in, in in reality, the work that everyone is doing is very, 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 very similar. And uh, the more collaboration that can be created, the more efficiency is created, the more the left hand, you know, knows what the right hand is doing, the more money is saved, right? And, um, you know, the better, better, the, the better uh, experience, uh, what am I saying? Uh, the 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 experience for the actual user, in this case, the student, is is so much better when various departments are working in unison. So, love that example. Uh, speaking of this uh, anxiety and and instability of sorts that 
we're all living through right now and that I think higher ed is is feeling in particular. Um, I think that there's also, you know, huge opportunities for enrollment marketers to take advantage of, especially as things like ad spend across major uh, channels like Facebook and Google continue to drop. And, you know, in an article you recently published on Inside Higher Ed, you discussed that, you know, marketing science shows us that lower share of voice, you call it, you, you say lower share of voice costs can be an inexpensive growth opportunity uh, for higher ed. And I'm just, I, I'd love for you to uh, elaborate on this a little bit more. I've never quite heard the term uh, share of voice costs and, and I like it, but I'd love for you to just explain a little bit more about what that means to you. Yeah, so this uh, this was in reference to research that was done uh, out of the IPA, which stands for the Institute of Practitioners uh, in advertising. And so basically they have this nice, uh, elaborate, um, uh, data set that looks at the effectiveness of marketing campaigns. And so they've done studies that, that have shown that share of voice, uh, is strongly correlated, uh, with, with a brand's market share. And so share of voice in this case is uh, a brand or, or company's ad spend relative, uh, to its category. And so what they've shown is that brands that allowed their, their share of voice uh, to dip below their market share uh, tend to see that share uh, decrease. And so where the opportunity lies is when competitors begin to pull their ad spend in a recession or, or in times uh, that we're going through now, uh, for brands that are willing to spend or even increase their spend, it's a good time to defend uh, that share of voice uh, in an effort to increase uh, that, that that market share. Uh, and so while I'll say that, that most of the industries represented uh, 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 in these uh, in, in this database is consumer goods, uh, I can't imagine that this doesn't extend to to, to higher ed. Uh, and so you are you, know, you mentioned uh, you know the drop in in, in cost of, of Facebook and, and advertising. Uh, so now uh, you know with the reductions of of uh, those who uh, continue to spend uh, should see uh, less expensive uh, inventory, which allows them to to. You know, in a sense, buy more uh, impressions. And, and I, I sort of stole a, one of the IPA's press ads says, when others go quiet, uh, your voice gets louder. Uh, and I think that's kind of a nice illustration of what this means for those who choose to either continue or maybe boost efforts if they're able to in a time when, when others maybe aren't willing to uh, invest in advertising. I love that. I'm I'm gonna have to steal that and and at the very least tweet that out. That's that's great. Uh, you know, and it's funny is just anecdotally, I've noticed that um, you know the uh, n- the number of brands that are popping up in my Facebook feed or on my Instagram feed or even on my LinkedIn feed of of companies I've never heard of that sell similar products uh, to companies that that are a little bit more like household names um, has grown exponentially in just the past couple weeks. So you know uh, this isn't scientifically sound, but there there must be some some truth to what you're saying um, simply because of the amount of people that I think are able to reach at least me that even a few weeks ago um, probably didn't have enough budget to uh, you know, capitalize on, on accessing my attention. So um, I, I love that. 
I want I want to shift gears a little bit and talk about some research that you did last fall. So you, it's my understanding that you conducted uh, in-depth interviews with students regarding their perceptions and attitudes, specifically towards social media advertising. And I think this is a, a part of. Um, uh, uh, and a piece that you're doing for the Journal of Digital and Social Media. And can you talk to us a little bit about like what the goal of this research was and just, uh, you know, share what you can, if, if anything, about um, what your findings were? Yeah, so uh, I'm pretty obsessed with, with advertising just uh, in general. And so I'm always... Uh, interested to sort of see what you know advertising Twitter's talking about and, and how that relates to, to higher ed and, and uh, what's being published in the trade press or, or industry reports uh, and so forth and and what's what's sort of I found to be interesting was um, you know on one hand you have uh, the, the advertising industry talking about uh, you know the lack of brand building ability of social media advertising and, and it's becoming less effective you know you're more likely to get struck by lightning than to, to click on an ad you know so i'm reading this uh, and then I'm, I'm reading stuff by um uh ruffalo noel levettes uh, uh about students uh willingness to learn more about colleges via social media ads um i also uh teach as an adjunct in the school of journalism at usc and i, I do a course on social media as well so i, I talk to students uh, a lot about um, social media advertising. Uh, and so there was this weird sort of distinct difference between, you know, what was being talked about in terms of effectiveness on, on outside of the hired industry. And then I have sort of these conversations with students who are like actively, you know, paying attention to social media ads. Uh, and then I read these reports saying students are, are you know, are, are you know, willing to learn more about a uh, university uh, through through social media ads. So I said, "Huh, you know that that's really interesting. Um, you know, I, I you know I want to want to learn more. Uh, and I, I also am pretty obsessed of, of re- about reading academic journals as well. And so I just said, "Yeah, let's just see what 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 studies have been done that sort of you know doesn't have a stake, if you will, in, in the outcome." Sure. Um, and there really wasn't a lot. Uh, there was, uh, you know, one, I, I found one article on, um, on college age students, uh, attitudes towards Instagram advertising, um, like the journal of advertising or international advertising, I think. Um, and so I said, well, you know, maybe I'll, 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 I'll write something up and submit it to a journal. Uh, and so I, um, I, I teach an upper-level class. And I teach a lo- uh, uh, an intro to journalism or, or media studies class. So I have all these uh, first-semester students in my class who just went through, you know, the college search process. And yeah. So they became my uh, my group that I uh, conducted uh, interviews with, uh, and uh, I just I sort of asked them about. Uh, being exposed to advertising, I asked them, you know, what, how do they felt, how do they feel about being, you know, targeted by schools specifically? Um, is it okay? You know, there's this idea that higher ed's wrapped up into a societal good. Is it okay that, you know, their marketing or, or acting just as uh, consumer brands would? Sure. Uh, you know, we we talked about, you know, how much is too much. Um, what makes an ad more effective? 
Um, and, you know, I felt like, you know, after a while there was, there was, you know, a lot, a, a lot to pull from this. Now there's, you know, there's some limitations to the study, um, uh, as well, but I think overall it, it, it at least added to the body of literature. So I, I went forward with it and, and, uh, and, and it'll be published in a forthcoming edition. Love it. I, I love that you're doing this and I love the story behind kind of how you ended up um, uh, drafting this, this entry. And I cannot wait to, to, I didn't even know there was a journal of digital and social media. So I'll have to, I'll have to make sure I, I get myself a copy, uh, when, when your, your article does come out. I'm curious though, like you, you sort of left us off on a, on a cliffhanger here. And again, you know, I don't want you to re- reveal more than you want to, or, or, or are allowed to, but, uh, what, what did you, what did you learn, right? What, what specific, uh, things, uh, what specific data points were, most interesting to you as a result of these interviews that you conducted? Oh yeah. So, well, I found really interesting and it's kind of how I structured my, my uh, inside higher ed article, uh, this idea of quality. Uh, and so, you know, I think you would, you wouldn't argue that creativity, uh, doesn't matter in advertising, right? I mean, I think that that's, you know, an obvious, you know, point. Uh, but what I found surprising was how, uh, students uh, extended the quality, the creativity uh, of an ad to the product uh, itself. So a, a quality creative ad that they spend uh, time with, uh, they then extend that to the quality of education that they might uh, get uh, at an institution. And, and I found that to be uh, pretty interesting uh, in and of itself. Uh, and, and where I think that that has effects for uh, enrollment management marketers uh, would be to think beyond those uh, direct responses. I think hmm. in a lot of ways, enrollment is built on conversions, lead generations, building an inquiry pool through direct responses. You know, can we create this linear path from ad to, to inquiry form? Uh, right. But, but I think that, and, and what that does is maybe puts us down a path of, uh, um, you know, efficiency and and sort of creating campaigns with that outcome in mind without sort of looking at the bigger picture and how can we influence down funnel effects at that stage. And, and what I mean by that is those indirect effects. So if perceptions and attitudes are being formed based on, you know, creativity and knowing that, you know, you know, it, it it's not as likely for someone to go from ad to inquiry form or even to application. You know, how can that initial uh, exposure um, have those positive indirect effects, uh, especially if they are evaluating ads in that manner uh, down funnel? And so I think you know, having an investment in creative that's that's meant for the campaign, that's meant for the uh, investment uh, is important. Um I made a concerted effort at the university, uh, and I, I know not everyone may, may not be in the position to do this, but but not to use stock images, not mm. to use, you know, the the everyday photo assets that everyone had access to. We shot photos for specific ads for a specific uh, message, uh, and and at least the outcomes uh, in my mind were improved uh, as a result. 
What's really interesting to me about this is, especially for the institutions who are maybe, you know, second or or third tier institutions and can't just, you know, ride on, um, you know, brand alone, like they're not the Harvards or the Yales or, you know, the Stanfords of the world. Like this, this is a real opportunity for folks to capitalize on attention and potentially change brand perception. Um, if in fact, what you're saying is true, which is that you know, spending more time on producing quality, and I would even argue original ad content, ad copy, um, has the potential to to change brand perception. And I think for those in sort of the secondary or, or, or tertiary sort of tiers that need a differentiator, especially when it comes to launching paid campaigns, um, that differentiator can and and you know should, based off of what you're saying, be in the creative. And so I I absolutely love that, and I think that that. It's really, really fascinating. Um, any, any other, you know, just quick one or two sort of findings that you thought were particularly uh, surprising and or and or interesting? Yeah, uh, you know, you know, once again, I'm, you know, I'm asking students to pay more attention to advertising than they probably normally do. Sure, sure. Wild, um, but I do feel like uh, they they were particularly. Uh, 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 Concern is not the right word, but um, the idea of frequency came up a lot. So how much is too much? How much is too little? Um, what does it mean when a, uh, a brand advertises too much to you? Same creative, same channel. Uh, you know, we, sort of, we sort of ran the gamut of ways in which um, they might be exposed to advertising uh, by brands. And so I found, I found, you know, this idea of frequency sort of evolves depending on how they're categorizing brands. So, you know, in one instance, they may say, okay, it's weird that an Ivy League school is advertising to me on social media because they're an Ivy League school and don't need to. Hmm. Uh, but then if they're evaluating uh, um, uh, brands based on location, and an Ivy League school happens to be, you know, 50 miles from their home, they would, they would feel uh, differently that they hadn't advertised to them. Um, and so I, I sort of make the point that, um, you know, there's all these sort of, um, uh, elements, proximity, prestige, buying stage, frequency, all have the ability to shape students' uh, perceptions. And it might be easy to get hung up on is seven enough, is three enough. Uh, I think the real lesson to be learned is to sort of uh, mitigate the idea of either, you know, uh, uh, ad burnout or, or, or just over advertising, um, uh, thinking through how your message can evolve throughout the campaign. Uh, I mean, we had year long, uh, recruitment cycles. And so making a concerted effort to switch up that messaging throughout the campaign, uh, as well as, um, the creative, uh, and, and making it inherent to each channel, um, which at least, you know, this research and other research would say that, you know, that, you know, allows um, um, uh, the consumer to feel less, uh, uh, less uh, imposed upon or bombarded by. Uh, it, by. Yeah, it, it also just I mean, it, it, it the reality is that like, 
the brands, like every, you know, uh, I, I talked with uh, someone I was interviewing, uh, Mickey Baines actually from Kennedy and Company on our last episode and we were talking about Sweetgreen, right? And how the, uh, the amount of effort that they go through um, to get me to buy a $12 salad, right? And the amazing imagery that they're using in email communications, the way that they're targeting me across Instagram and, and Facebook and, and whatnot is, it's it's not only are their ads compelling and, and incredibly uh, attractive, the messaging is not just on brand, but it's completely and, and you know contextually relevant to whatever the reality of the season is, whatever the reality of, in, in many cases, the week is, um, which is incredible. And like, you know, here we have colleges and universities selling, uh, you know, a 40 to 60 to $100,000 uh, product, if you will, over the course of several years, right? And, you know, the, the least that they can do, the least that uh, marketing and admissions teams can do is remember to swap out the creative for something that's a little bit more contextually relevant to the season, right? Or, or to where we're at in the enrollment cycle. So I, you know, I couldn't agree more. And I love that you guys uh, were cognizant of that and, and paid attention to that at USC. Yeah, yeah, I tend to believe that, that you know, advertising, you know, a, a uh, one of the goals is to increase likelihood that you're thought of uh, in a buying moment, uh, and then also creating sort of memory structures or associations throughout the buying cycle that leads to, you know, the ability to be to be thought of, and and I think that's sort of where that strength of varying your creative, you know, just like you you mentioned, um, uh, Sweet Greens does, you know, it allows for more of your brand to be told. Uh, uh, and it allows for more moments that someone might, you know, continue to think about uh, your brand or reinforce existing uh, feelings. You know, if, if, if you have a great community, um, you know, it, it, you can extend that, that uh, the more sort of creative or ad types you use to tell that story. Fantastic. All right. I have two final questions for you. Um, the first one, right, just in order to address the, the elephant in the room, right, where uh, in case people are listening to this in the distant future, uh, we are all living through uh, the COVID-19 pandemic right now. Um, there's a lot of you know fear and uncertainty, some of which we've already discussed right now. What can enrollment marketers do, Chris, uh, as they start prepping for the fall? And I, I, you know, I think that there's there's some people can do right now in terms of executing last minute yield campaigns and you know p- possibly uh, executing sort of transfer campaigns and whatnot. Um, but for you know p- putting those aside for now, I'm specifically talking about all of the effort and work that typically happens over the summer and early into the fall for the re- recruitment of the class of 2021. What can folks do right now to to start prepping for um, you know, the recruitment of students next year in light of this crazy sort of unprecedented moment that we're all living through? Yeah, I mean, I think, I think that there's a couple of things. Um, I mean, I think upfront uh, is just, you know, communicating, I, I think in general, I, I think that there's a fear of maybe over communicating or, or, you know, maybe, oh, we don't have everything 100% certain, so maybe we shouldn't say anything. And I'm not saying we, you know, you need to make things up or whatever. But I think, you know, prospective students down the line, I think, are at least in this moment attuned to how admissions offices are handling the current moment. And I, and I think uh, uh, there may be an element of uh, uh, increased interest or at least 
uh, um, a stronger perception of strength of brand, the, the, the more uh, communicative uh, admissions can be um, with their current you know, pipeline of students, whether it's their, their, their you know, fall class now or their, their, uh, their next class. I, I think that there's an element of people want to know what's going on and how they're addressing it. And so I think that that should be, should be done. Um, I think the, the second thing, and, and I'm trying to put myself back at, at the university at the moment, uh, I think we'd be evaluating, um, you know, our recruitment pipelines. Um, you know, what, what has happened as a result, potentially? Um, are there places we can gain ground? Um, because maybe maybe we find that students aren't likely to, you know, go three states over sure. uh, well, um, well, if that's the case, well, maybe we can either refocus on on you know prior maybe pipelines that that we've considered dried up uh, in the past, um, or or explore new ones. Um, so I think looking for those, you know, new new pipelines is, is certainly something that that we would be doing. No, that makes a ton of sense, and I I, I think that. Uh, geography is going to matter more than people think it's going to matter over over the next 12 months. And so, uh, you know, ex- changing ad span, being a little bit more geospecific in your targeting um, and allocating more time and attention and budget into communicating with students in your you know vicinity in a, sort of like a 60 to 100 mile radius is going to be uh, all the more important uh, over the next 12 months and maybe even beyond that. So I couldn't, couldn't agree more there. All right, my last question for you, and you have 60 seconds to answer this question, okay, um, is I'm giving you $10,000 and you have to spend this $10,000 in the next month on some sort of ad campaign. Uh, how would Chris spend this ten thousand dollars over the next thirty days? Okay, so I'm assuming that this will be in an effort to uh, sort of build the next class. So that's yeah. Let's let's bake how, in that assumption. So that's how I'm gonna uh, roll with this. Um, I would figure out a way to assess our current assets, and if there was a way we could um, maybe update or strengthen what we felt were weak. Weak assets, we'd improve upon that. I know that you know that, that takes a lot of consideration. Uh, outside of that, I would um, invest in in, in brand building. Um, you know, I would look at um, you know campaigns where where CPM uh, was the objective, and I would just want to get as many eyeballs uh, in front of our our messaging uh, uh, as possible uh, in those regions that, that make the most sense or in the areas that make the most sense. Um, you know, I'm thinking, uh, you know, Google display, uh, Instagram uh, would be probably my, my two big channels, just knowing that at least time spent on, on Instagram has increased and, and time spent on, <laughs> on the internet and mobile device has certainly increased, uh, with that age group as well. Fantastic. Well, I, I love it. I think that that's a, it's a great plan, especially if you're playing the long game right now, there's so much uncertainty in the short game that, um, you know, for, for schools that can and, and have these sorts of budgets, I think capitalizing on that attention, you know, increasing uh, share of voice, so to speak, is is incredibly important right now. So uh, uh, I love that. Chris, thank you so much for, for being here. I really appreciate your time. Um, if folks want to stay in touch or, or reach out to you, what's the best way for them to reach you? Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, uh, Chris, Chris Hebner, or, uh, I'm Twitter as well. Uh, I have a really uh, creative Twitter handle, uh, Hebner C. 
I love it. I love it. Great. Well, uh, uh, for anyone who wants to stay in touch with Chris, go ahead and connect with him on LinkedIn or Twitter. Chris, thanks for ta- thanks for your time and have an awesome rest of your day. You too. Thanks, Zach. If you are an enrollment marketer working in marketing and communications or enrollment management and would be willing to be interviewed on the podcast, or if you have an idea for a topic that you'd like to hear covered on the podcast, please reach out directly to me at Zach, Z-A-C-H, at Enrollify.org. We sincerely look forward to working with you to make Enrollify the most trusted, go-to, digital resource for enrollment marketers out there. Just one final reminder to head on over to socialfreshx.com to learn more about their upcoming conference. It's going to be an amazing virtual event full of awesome, awesome speakers, really inspiring content. And again, Enrollify subscribers get 10% off of ticket fees. So head on over to socialfreshx.com and be sure to use the promo code Enrollify10, that's Enrollify10, at checkout.